Welcome to Restaurant Influencers presented by Entrepreneur. My name is Sean Walchef, founder of Cali BBQ and Cali BBQ Media in life, in the restaurant business, and in the new creator economy. We learn through lessons and stories. Today, we have an extremely, extremely important guest because the work that we do on this show, we're so fortunate that just over a year and a half ago, we launched with Entrepreneur Media. Toast, our title sponsor, our technology partner at our barbecue restaurants, believes in the power of storytelling. Um, they gave us the opportunity to host this show. And because of this show, we've reached over 25 million people. But today's guest is one of the theses, the theses of this show. We have none other than John Taffer, international celebrity, New York Times bestselling author, highly sought after business consultant. He is a creator. He is an executive producer of Paramount's number one show, Bar Rescue, a man that needs no introduction. John, welcome to the show. Good to be here, buddy. Nice to talk with you. First random question is where in the world is your favorite stadium, stage, or venue? Ooh, well, that would have to be for different things because I'm an old nightclub guy. Remember, I ran the Troubadour and pulsations and a lot of nightclubs in the mega nightclub days. So, so I would say my my favorite venue right now is T-Mobile in Las Vegas because of the Golden Knights and the Stanley Cup. So I'm pretty zeroed in on that one right now. But you know, I think that there's a lot of great venues in the country. You know, I would say Tanglewood up in Massachusetts is an outdoor venue, which I think is one of my favorite. Uh, when I look at bars across the country. You know, some great historic bars, employees only is a great example of one. You know, I look in Vegas at, at some of the venues like a marquee, $80 million a year, an excess and win, $88 million a year. You know, the fantasy numbers that are achieved in some of these venues, particularly in my city here in Las Vegas, is crazy. But, you know, if I were to pick one venue that that is probably my favorite, I would pick a venue that's meaningful historically. And I would pick the Troubadour in Hollywood, California, which I ran many, many years ago, only because Bruce Springsteen was discovered there, Elton John was discovered there, uh, and all these famous artists came from there. So that's a pretty special venue if we use the word venue. Beautiful. So the Troubadour, how many people fit in the Troubadour? About 1,300. There's an upstairs balcony and a downstairs area. I used to run the Troubadour in the days of Black Flag, Adam Ant, the Dead Kennedys, (laughs) and all of those acts. Even the Knack, my Sharona. Uh, all that stuff was back when I ran the Troubadour in those days. Great historic venues like that matter. You know, even the Whiskey A Go-Go is a great one. CBGB's we lost in New York was another great one. Uh, uh, these historic venues mean something because I came up in the business as a musician. When you walk on a stage as a musician, that means something. It has a historic value to it. It means something to the performer, and that means something to the audience. So I always lean towards historic venues. Uh, for those reasons. Okay, so we're going to go to the Troubadour. I'm going to talk to Entrepreneur. I'm going to talk to Toast. I'm going to talk to a bunch of sponsors, but we're going to get what we like to say is the people that play the game within the game. Anybody that listens to this podcast, watches this show, no matter how you consume it, you want to level up. You want to get better at hospitality. Yeah. Um, we have the best of the best on the stage. I'm going to bring you on stage. And, you know, when I was growing up, I, I never met my father. My grandfather raised me. He was a Bulgarian immigrant, and he taught me three things, and that was to stay curious to get involved and to ask for help. I'm going to put you on stage. I know you've given keynotes all over the world to the biggest venues, biggest stages, but I'm going to ask you for one business story and I'm going to fill the audience with 
not only the people that are playing the game within the game, but also their children and their grandchildren. I know you recently became a grandfather. Give me one of the greatest business stories and give me a lesson from that business story to lead off this keynote for this conference that that we're hosting. Well, it would probably be not a restaurant story, but a television story, if that's okay. Please. Because it impacted me so greatly. I was giving a keynote address for a, a food and beverage conference in Las Vegas. And after the address in Caesar's Palace, somebody comes up to me and says, John, you should be on TV. So I went home and I wrote this thing up called On the Rocks. And it was a cross between Kitchen Nightmares and Mission Impossible. So they would drop me into these failing bars and restaurants and I would pull out my files like Mission Impossible and I would find my experts, right? Put the files down and then I would go save the place. So I put this pitch together and years earlier, I had consulted to Paramount for Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. So I had good relationships on the Paramount lot. So I called my friends at Paramount. They set me up with the head of TV and all the Paramount people with TV. I'm coming to pitch something. They're being very nice to me because of my previous relationship. So I walk into the room and uh, I say to them, gentlemen, I appreciate you taking the time to meet me. I want to pitch you with an idea. I'm not a TV guy. So all I want to hear from you is if this is worth me trying to put time into or if I should just move on and not do it at all. They said, okay. So I pitched them on my idea. And do I have to use filtered language on this podcast? Absolutely not. This is an entrepreneur show. We- <laughs> Excellent. So, so they looked at me and they said, quote, John, you will never fucking be on television. You're too, you're not good looking enough. You're too old. It will never happen. I drive out the gates of Paramount. I'm pretty bummed out, as you can imagine, right? The big gate, pretty dramatic thing. I drive out and I think to myself, you know, they sell TV shows with three to four minute sizzle reels. Fuck them. I'm going to go make my own sizzle reel. So when I produced my own sizzle reel in a friend's bar, it was empty on Saturday afternoon, packed on Sunday afternoon because of football. So I go there when it's empty, you know, I go there when it's full, look at what I did. I put the sizzle reel together. I send it out to four production companies that I have no relationship with, zero. Paramount I had a relationship with. I send it to these four companies. All four of them give me offers. Four out of four. So now I got offers for 90% of the profits, offers. I've never been in the entertainment business before. So I have to hire entertainment attorneys, put the deal together. I wound up signing with Three Ball Entertainment, who wasn't the best offer that I had but I felt they produced the best product. They had a show called The Biggest Loser at the time. They were very successful reality producers. So I signed with them. That was 13 years ago. Now, 240 episodes later, uh, 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 I still laugh with my Paramount friends over this. And the full circle, the funniest part of it is, Paramount said to me, you will never fucking be on television, but what network am I on? Paramount. So here's the point to this story. Two really powerful lessons. Lesson one, the only person who can say no to you is you. Don't ever forget that. When we say yes to ourselves and somebody else says no, it doesn't mean we need to flip to a no. That's a personal decision. Now, sure, risk management, you take advice from the outside, all those kind of things. But remember, because somebody else says no to you, it doesn't mean it's no to you. The next thing I, I think is a powerful lesson in this is the fact that I didn't go for the money. I went for the quality. I could have taken a richer deal, but I took a deal with a company that would produce a product. So I had a long-term view on what I was doing rather than a short-term hit for the cash. And I think those two decisions, not saying no and understanding uh, 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 that I'm in control of this destiny is what's put me here today. 
Huge news, Toast, our primary technology partner at our barbecue restaurants in San Diego and the primary technology partner of so many of the guests that we have on this show have announced they are expanding their business offerings with Google. So now if you search on Google Maps and you sign up for Toast Tables or Toast Waitlist, you will have the opportunity to improve the digital hospitality experience of the guest, allow them to book through the maps into the Toast Reservation system. One of the biggest difficulties that restaurant guests have is when they search for your restaurant and they want a table, they do not have an easy solution to book a table or to get on a wait list. This is huge news for the restaurant industry, huge news for guests and huge news for you, the restaurant owner. Check out Toast Tables today and find out the new integrated solution that they have. This is something that we've wanted for a long time. How do you integrate reservations, wait lists into your point of sale? Toast has done it. Check it out. Can you bring us inside the media sausage, if you will? How is the media made? I mean, we're a we're a barbecue business. We have five barbecue locations here in San Diego. We've turned ourselves into a media company. Anyone can turn themselves into a media company. That's essentially why we created this show. But what you've done is at the highest level. Bring us inside the unit economics of the deal of how do you decide? Because most people, and the reason why I love your example is that you're playing the game within the game. You're not just the talent. You're the business behind the talent and what you've built in the last 13 years. What have you learned today versus what you did before? Well, I think a couple of things are important to this. One, I was successful before I went into the TV show. So I didn't sell my soul. You know, I shut the show down in the fourth episode because the producer wanted to throw a, a ketchup ridden Tampex on a bathroom floor wanted to do something fake. I shut the production down, told the network VP to go fuck himself. It was a serious issue. The show almost shut down and I would have shut it down if they continued to have me do anything fake. So I was lucky. I had a deal with the network that it would be real. I had an understanding with the network that if it wasn't real, I would walk away because my brand still meant a lot to me before I was on TV. And then I think the next aspect of it is authenticity. You know, I'm me. I'm no different talking to you now than I am on TV. That's really important. No matter what we do in a content world, authenticity is critical. Now, keeping it authentic is a real challenge in the TV business because the network wants to know exactly what they're getting before they get it. John goes here, fights with people, turns it into a sports bar. <laughs> John goes here, fights with people, turns it into an Italian restaurant. So they want to know. The fact is, I don't know what I'm going to do until I get there. So there's a real issue there trust. It took me a year in the first season of Bar Rescue for the network to really trust my decision making. Now I haven't had a network executive on set in 150 episodes. There's no predetermined script, no actors, no anything. I'll give you the inside scoop of how it works in a moment. But the fact of the matter is th that the trick is authenticity. So I created a term called shadow production. On TV shows, there's story producers and line, and there's all these people running around doing all these things. They're not allowed to interact with the employees of the bar, and that's incredibly unusual. Every other show, the producers tell them where to stand, where to go, what to do, and the host walks in and does his thing. In those scenarios, the employees of the restaurant think they're accountable to production, not to host. Yeah, It's not real. 
In my show, they had no relationship with production. I tell them where to go, where to stand, what to do. Everything comes from me. They have a relationship with me, not production. They're accountable to me, not production. At the end of a show, if my story, if the cast or the restaurant owners, we call them cast, but they're just employees. If they know the names of my producers at the end of an episode, those producers blew it. They got too close to those people. So that's the trick is to do that. Now, if you don't know where you're going and what you're doing, you better be a pretty darn good television host because there's no <laughs> script, there's no one leading you there. So, so here's the process that happens. We have a casting company that tests the show. I create standards. I like an owner, a manager, and a staff. I don't just like an owner and a staff. I like management because I like to have, have an owner be an owner, a manager be a manager, and, and a staff be a staff. I like that delineation. So you'll find most episodes that I do tend to have ownership and management, just not just ownership and employees. Yep. I like a kitchen. Very, very important. We can do bars without kitchens. There's a lot of them out there. But kitchens are very, very important to operations, process, and stress, and pace, and energy, and all of those issues. So a kitchen is a critical element to the show. And then I like a certain amount of employees. Other than that, I'll go anywhere. So we have a production company that has those standards. And that production company goes out and finds locations. They go to those locations. They shoot about a five or seven minute casting reel, just shows the personality of the employees. They sit them in bar stools, ask them some questions, pretty quick stuff. Those casting reels, I never see. I don't want to see. They go to the network for approval. They're approved at the network. So when I show up at these bars, I never even heard their name before. I've never been there before. I know nothing about these people. The day I show up, and you'll find this interesting, and there's a real lesson for our industry in this. The day I show up, it's about 4.35 in the afternoon. I sit in a makeup chair. They do my hair. They powder me up. While I'm in that chair, I get about a 60-second briefing from my showrunner. John, this bar is owned by Sally and George. They're ready to kill each other. They're about to get divorced. They've lost their house. They're going to lose their car. They're in debt $400,000. They're losing $10,000 a month. They have enough money for two more weeks. That's all I know. How far in debt they are, what the situation is between the partners, how long they have. That's it. Wow. I go in and do recon. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I walk in. If they're nice, I'm nice. If they're not nice, I'm not nice. If I see filth and things that insult me, that would insult you too. Yep. I get angry at those kinds of things. You want to lose money? That's up to you. You want to get people sick? That's a different issue. I'm going to go at you for that. So, so you know, I go in. Whatever happens at recon happens at recon. Here's what you don't know. At the end of recon, we put all the employees and the ownership in vans in the parking lot. And I go into the bar and I design it that night. I'm given a demographic report, psychographics, understanding the demographics, economic makeup of the community. I'm given a competitive assessment document, which I've designed, which tells me in a minute what competitors are in the area, what concepts, what price points. So I have that demographic, psychographic, and competitive information. I then look at the room. I have verticals I can attach to, horizontals I can attach to, windows, no windows, where's the bar, where's this? I got about a half hour to come up with a concept and a complete design. I do it that night. We go home. The next day on TV, you see training and stress test. What you don't see is I'm finishing up the design elements. So my team is working with me, showing me bar stools, wallpapers, furniture packages, finishes, everything. But I need it all within 24 hours. 
So I'll tell you a funny thing. If you look at Bar Rescue carefully at the reveals, you'll notice very often the chairs and the bar stools don't match. It's because <laughs> I can't get 60 bar stools in 24 hours, but I can get 12 of this and six of those and nine mm -hmm. of these. So getting it that quick is a real challenge. At the end of the second day, when stress test is over, the logos are at the sign company, the recipes are done, the orders are in the Cisco, the orders are into the beverage distributors, the uniform order is done, the plates and the serviceware is all designed, the bar design is done, the interior design is done, the stools, the wall, everything is ordered, everything is done by the second day. At the end of stress test, my team goes in and we start remodeling. We do remodel it in 36 hours. So wow. in the night from day two, to the afternoon of day four, we're in remodeling. That's why day three in Bar Rescue, I train offsite because we're remodeling at the location. On the fourth day, at about five o'clock in the afternoon, I show up to a final walkthrough with my team. I might change something, modify something, move this, change that. I don't like this color, it didn't work, we do that. We'll do a couple of hours worth of changes and modifications and then those same white vans pull in the parking lot with the cast and blindfolds. We line them up in front and they see the bar. So really I spend maybe 20 hours with them tops. You know, I have an hour to design the bar, an hour to get the menu done, get the food orders and the logos done. So I ask our industry a question. What the fuck takes you guys so long to do anything? <laughs> weeks of menu development, weeks of design. I got a test, I got this. Uh, meeting after meeting, discussion after discussion. <laughs> Sometimes guys, time is money. Uh, and if there's anything I've learned from Bar Rescue, it's that everything we do as an industry takes way too long. Urgency. So let's get to it. I agree with you. Urgency and intent. Correct. Speaking of urgency and intent, I want to talk about internet storytelling. As somebody that's built his brand, I'm going to give you some numbers here. So your Facebook account, 687,000 followers, Instagram, 386, TikTok, 1.5 million, Twitter, 255,000, YouTube, 8,000. If you add in Bar Rescue, their handle, if you add in Taffer's Brown Butter Bourbon, if you add in Taffer's Tavern, we're talking about over 5 million followers just on social media alone. We're talking about Taffer Media. Bring me in to your relationship with social media, where it started with Facebook and then Instagram, and now we're at TikTok and podcasting to where you see it going. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, the one number you didn't put on there is the TV number. So Bar Rescue, Please. we have a, 138 million unique viewers this year. Unique wow. viewers. So that's a lot of eyeballs. So wow. obviously that helps feed my social media. It would be unreasonable not to show that as, Thank the, you. as the backbone that feeds so much of what I do. It's authenticity. I'm the same guy on social media yep. that I am on television. If somebody says something to me on social media, I'll give it right back to them. <laughs> I have no insult throwing them. I have no problem calling them out. I have no problem defending uh, myself. I try to be honest all the time and I try to be authentic all the time. I think the secret to social media is, you know, I just did VCon. And, and, you know, uh, 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 I have a lot of respect for Gary and, and Gary V and, and his social media prowess and how he's been able to cultivate such a powerful business without TV, without radio, yes. without those those backbones that I have. And, you know, I think it's simple. Social media has to give people something. I have to benefit from the 15 seconds that I give you. Your restaurant can't be the one that benefits. I'm not going to come back. I'm not here to hear about your restaurant. I'm here to hear about something that means something to me.
Correct. So, you know, when we do Taffer's Tavern or we do my brown butter bourbon, it's always giving them something, a recipe, an idea, something. You know, we used to do something years ago. I don't know why I stopped it. I, I probably should start again. It was called Wednesday, Wednesday Wisdom. And we just gave them one quote every Wednesday. It had a huge following. We did Taffer Takes during the evolutionary process, which was just opinionated things. You know, now we've done Taffer Tries It, which is a tasting, yeah. which which is what took us in TikTok to 1.7 million. We were at zero. And we launched that one program and it, and it took us to 1.7 million. So, you know, I think it's understanding who your audience is and being authentic, but giving them something every time you go to social media. I think that's really the, the trick, trick to it. And social media fills our egos. It can't. It needs to fill their ego. You launched John Taffer, No Excuses, the first podcast. Now we have the second revitalization called the John Taffer podcast. Bring me inside the Taffer world of podcasting. Sure. You know, a podcast one approached me originally and said, John, we'd like you to do a podcast. And I'm very good friends with Adam Carolla, who you probably know is one of the most successful podcasters in the world. So, you know, it's very easy for me to call Adam, get advice from Adam or his manager, Mike August, you know, how does this work? So working with them, they brought me to podcast one and I launched the John Taffer, No Excuses podcast. We did great. Got up to over 100,000 downloads per podcast, which is good numbers in the podcast business. You know, we want the fastest growing in the country. But then I had to go do 40 episodes of Bar Rescue. <laughs> so, so doing it every week became a real, real problem for us. And I don't like, you know, there's three things in life, good, fast, and cheap. You get two out of three. You want a good and fast, it's not cheap. You want a good and cheap, it's not fast. You want a good and cheap, you want a fast and cheap, it's not good. So yep. I look at the podcast that way. I couldn't do them every week while I was shooting. So we let it go for a little while. Then by popular demand sponsors and stuff, we were told, please come back and do it. Please come back and do it. My new contract for Bar Rescue gives me a little more free time. I'm producing more. I'm on camera a little less. So we launched a new one just a few weeks ago, eh, maybe a few months ago. And it took off again. We're doing very, very well with it. But, you know, I find the podcast, I'm going to keep throwing the same word at you, authentic. Yeah. So I'm trying to have guests on that I have something to talk about that, you know, provide some interesting. We just had the founder of DraftKings on. It was an amazing episode. Yeah, and I was really puzzled by AI and how that's affecting gaming. And I really thought, boy, there must be a lot of other people that are puzzled about that too. So I did the podcast, not for me, for them. But let me leave you with an interesting thought. Not leave you, but let me give you an interesting thought. I don't believe you're in a restaurant business. I don't believe you're in a food and beverage business. You're in a reaction business. Yes. Not the food and beverage business. Your cook in the kitchen is not making an entree. That is not the product. He's producing a reaction. That is the product. The entree is strictly the vehicle to the reaction. So if I go out with my wife tonight and a plate of food hits the table, one of two things happens. Either we sit up, look at it, and react to it, or we don't. If we don't react to it, that restaurant is stuck in mediocrity for the rest of its life. You see, we don't sell food. We sell reactions. We achieve it through food. We don't do play presentations. We do reactions. We achieve it through play presentations. We don't serve people. We create reactions while we serve people. I don't make drinks. I create reactions while we produce those drinks. Make no mistake, he or she who creates the greatest reactions in our business wins. That's the business that we're in. So when you start to pick apart the science of human reactions, which was my first book, Raise the Bar, how do I create better reactions and guests? Because if I can manage my guest reactions, I can manage my destiny. 
If I can manage my employee reactions, I can manage my destiny. So I'm in the business of managing reactions. I do it through products, through words, through imagery, through music, through all those things. We don't play music, we play reactions. We achieve it through music. At Taffer's Tavern, every song is curated into key, instrumentation type, beats per minute curves. I can make you chew faster. I can take five minutes off the table turn through music design. So I'm a nutcase about all these. As a matter of fact, I own the only patent ever issued by the federal government for managing music to achieve a desired ambiance in a hospitality property. I'm a nutcase about reactions. For example, and I know I'm on a rampage here, but you'll like this. I like pick it. A, <laughs> pick a Denny's. Lights are bright. Sure. Waiter walks fast. Go to a Morton's. Lights are low. Waiter walks slow. If that waiter walked faster in Morton's, that steak isn't worth $80 anymore, is it? If the lights were just a little brighter, that steak isn't worth $80 anymore, is it? Pace affects value perception, uh, uh, price perception, imagery, concept energy, all of these things, lighting levels. You know, the lower the lights, the closer I have to come to talk to you. The louder the, louder the music, the closer I have to come talk. All of these things create reactions, lighting, music, table height, table size, all of these things create reactions. So I pick everything apart and build reactions into every single plate presentation item, everything that I do. That's why I think I'm successful. And I think when you, when you experience our operations, you'll feel it in your gut, the difference in energy and reactions that happens. So you've had President Trump on your podcast. You've had Dave Portnoy, El Prez, Barstool Sports. You've had Chef Robert Irvine, who's a friend of our show. He's absolutely incredible. Dana My White, buddy. Mark Cuban, Dan Rowe, all of these incredible people on your show. As I was doing research for this episode, I was listening to you talking about repurposed content, specifically to Dave Portnoy. And I also found an article of a keynote that you gave at VCon, which you referenced at Gary V's VCon, and you spoke about Disney. You spoke about the experience, the reaction that Disney gets. I recently, literally two days ago, took my four-year-old daughter to Disney and the entire experience, the long lines, but it was the reaction. It was how they put the characters into costume, not uniform, costume. costume. They put them on stages where I not pulled out my wallet. Not a station, out, a stage. Correct, stages. My question to you is why... Or how can you repurpose content to give the internet more of John Taffer? Because the, the speech that you gave at VCon should be as a part of your podcast, can be a bonus episode. You give all these incredible speeches. You do all this incredible work. You're already doing amazing things that your audience can benefit from. And more importantly, back to your grandson and to the future generations of industry, how can they learn? Well, they can learn through this greatest gift that we all have, which is the internet. So what can I ask of you? What can you do to help us get more Taffer on podcasts? You know, it's interesting uh, uh, when you put that forth and you, you know, you raise a really good point and something I haven't really thought of. You know, when I'm on stage at VCon, I do content. Yeah. I'm talking to people, I'm looking in their eyes. So I feed off them. I don't have a prepared script. When I went out to VCon, there was no outline. There was no script. I had no cards. I had no notes. It was, it was all, you know, a, a free flowing based on their facial expressions. Podcast, I, I look at very differently. It's more conversational, a little more intimate. But why couldn't I take that Gary V type of content 
and bring it to my podcast. I've never done that before. I think that's a fantastic idea. Listen to my next podcast. I think it's a great <laughs> idea. But, you know, just for fun, I'd like to tell you what I said on Gary Vee about Please, Disney. I would love to you hear know? it. And, and I looked out into the room, and I'm a huge Disney fan. I'm very close to Disney Imagineering. These guys are all my buddies. And, you know, I said, how many of you have been to Disney World? And they raised their hands. And I said, how many of you were hugged by Mickey Mouse? And they all raised their hands. So if you saw who was in that costume, you'd die. But you didn't see foam and fabric. You saw Mickey. Yeah. Let's say you walk down Main Street with the ugliest child on the planet. This kid is a third eye in the middle of its head. I mean, it's the ugliest child on the planet. And you walk up to a VIP hostess and you say, what time does the parade start? That VIP hostess is going to answer your question. She's going to bend down. She's going to lift up that kid's hat. She's going to look at the ugliest child she's ever seen in her life. And she's going to look up at mom and she's going to say, she's adorable. And mom's going to stand up and glow. You can almost see the light emitting from her. There's only two places in the world where that kid is adorable. Disney and grandma's house. Go down to Universal Studios. That kid ain't shit. That's the Disney magic. So when you look at the way they make you feel, you stand online an hour and a half for an attraction. You run to the next one, stand online for an hour and a half. You buy a Coke, it's got Mickey Mouse on it, $14.95. You got to carry this cup around with you all day now. The dollars are huge. It's 110 degrees, but you come home, you love every minute of it because they're the masters of reaction. Think about this. They can make you happy while you're standing online for an hour and 20 minutes in 100 degree temperature, but the restaurant down the street can't make you happy in 45 minutes with food. Yes. That's the power of reactions. They're the masters of it. So years ago, I got to work with Disney as a consultant in Imagineering, and I learned those philosophies and those principles. Uh, you know, I made them my own, of course, and, and my own phrasing. But, you know, Disney doesn't have employees. They're cast members. They don't wear uniforms. They wear costumes. They don't work in a station. They work on stage. And those are powerful things. I try to communicate that to my employees as well. By the way, we don't use the word uniform. We do use the word customs in our I companies. Yeah. I love it. So recently I was uh, very fortunate. Dan Rowe, the CEO of Fransmart, flew his plane uh, from, from Arizona out to uh, to San Diego. I picked him up, took him to our, our barbecue restaurant. And we, we actually shared, shared a conversation about Taffer's Tavern about what you're building, how you're building it, and uh, why it's revolutionizing the game. Can you bring uh, bring the audience in and give them a seat at the table of, of what, you, what you've been up to? Sure. You know, in our industry, we have a problem that, you know, we think of it as a new problem. It's not a new problem. For the past 25 years, the National Restaurant Association has focused on the labor problems in the restaurant industry, the staffing issues in the restaurant industry. You know, four years ago, five years ago, back in the Trump presidency, unemployment was very low like it is now. We couldn't find a workforce. We were struggling to succeed. And I'm traveling around the country. I have clients like Fridays, National Change, Franchisors, Franchisees. I'm doing my consulting work. And I realized this is unsustainable. The days of six guys in a kitchen, it's not sustainable. First of all, I can't get the six guys. If I can, I lose two of them every freaking week. I'm training and training and training. My manager is in the back of the house training all day long. They're ignoring the customers in the front of the house. The residual impact of this is massive. What if? What if I could say, I'm going to redesign the kitchen from scratch. I'm going to create a restaurant that uses 60% less labor. I'm going to leverage on robotics. 
and computers and automated cooking to fill that void. So what if I could make seven days of training, seven hours of training? What if I could reduce the amount of people in a kitchen from six to two? What if I could do that? Is it even possible? So then I went to test kitchens for three years. And I went to Cisco test kitchens and Cuisine Solutions test kitchens. And I landed on sous vide. And sous vide is a Michelin five-star cooking technique where food is cooked in plastic bags in water ovens. So for example, I can take a beautiful New York strip from a particular farm, a particular strain of meat. I can season it, put it in my sous vide bag, drop it in a water oven at 135 degrees. That's going to cook to a perfect medium rare at 135 degrees. If I leave it in that water oven for three hours, it's still going to be 135 degrees. <laughs> it is never going to cook past medium rare. Yes. It comes out of the water oven, but it looks like the center of a prime rib. It's all pink. So that steak then comes out of the water oven, goes into a, a turbo chef type of an oven that uses a, a convection, microwave, uh, um, and steam, and light to sear the outside of this steak, bring the center to the right temperature. My ticket time for that steak is under six minutes. And it's the most delicious steak you've ever had in your life. So the cook isn't, cook isn't slicing that steak. He's not putting it in a bag. He's not doing any of those things. In theory, not in theory, in practical use, there is no raw protein in that restaurant at all that That's isn't it. under wrap when it's cooked. Wow. So there's no raw protein on any countertops, any cooktops or anything. So the entire restaurant is sous vide. There wow. is no traditional raw proteins in a restaurant. Everything is sous vide. My longest ticket time is hoodless. Six. Hoodless, right? Hoodless, hoodless restaurants? All hoodless. Amazing. So the product coming in is specced so tightly that it has great consistency. It's cooked in a computerized fashion that is absolutely consistent. There's no human error in the process. My cooks don't even salt anything. Wow. There is no human error in the process at all. So on a Saturday night, I was in Boston a couple of weeks ago at our Boston location. Saturday night restaurant was packed, 200 seats, two guys in the kitchen telling each other jokes as they're working. I can air condition my kitchens. Wow. Air so, conditioned kitchens. There you go. So think Put about it. Less people, <laughs> less turnover, less training, yeah. less burden on management. And I believe this is the kitchen of the future. So we, we invented it. There's no traditional range in the Taffer's Tavern. There's no traditional oven in the Taffer's Tavern. Everything is, is new generation, unhooded, and electric. Tell me about brand partnerships. How do you integrate brand partnerships? And I know you have a special one with Shift4. Um, tell us about what, what you have special for the audience and then uh, give us the bigger theory on, on brand, brand deals. Yeah, you know, for me, brand deals, first of all, it has to be something I believe in. I, I turn down brand deals all the time for things that I don't believe in. Shift4 is an amazing company. Jared Isaacman, the CEO of Shift4, is a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. So we've hung out together, spend a lot of time together. Shift4 is on a mission to change our industry uh, with the SkyTab systems, the software approaches that they're taking. Their technological view of the industry is, is so futuristic, so forward-looking. But they need somebody from the industry who's in there to help guide the programmers at times and give them ideas and give them challenges the kind of things that you and I sleep with every night yep. that they don't think of. Yep. So that's my role with Shift4 is I, I originally, uh, uh, when we started, I had my Bar HQ app, which was a management app for bars. 
When the deal with Shift4 started, they bought my Bar HQ app. So all that management tools and programming could roll into their products. Then we evolved it. Jared and I <clears throat> having a burger at uh, Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas one afternoon created the term smart POS. And we took it to the next level. A POS system that flags it when your revenues drop 2% Monday to Monday and gives you the tools to fix it. The promotion, the merchandising, the sales plan to fix it. A POS system that truly acts like a partner in revenues as well as transactional management. That was our vision. So that's really, really exciting for me. I also have a sponsorship with, with ChargeFuse. Yes. The, the, and the reason why is, you know, I look at length of stay in bars and I look at what I call battery anxiety. You know how yes. many people I've lost money to because their batteries are going dead in their bars? So this is a problem for our industry. We don't all yes. have USB. So ChargeFuse to me is about length of stay. Terrific. It helps. Our, so I, I formed a relationship with them as well because I believe in these things. And, and yep. I think lending my name and my expertise to them can make a difference. That's very powerful. So every single Wednesday and Friday on the social audio app Clubhouse, you, the listeners, you guys can come up on stage, tell me about your restaurant, tell me about sales, tell me about marketing. We have content creators, digital hospitality professionals from all over the globe. That's Wednesday, Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Um, please join us on that. John, every single week I give a social shout out. This week's shout out is going to my business partner and my general manager, Eric Olafson. So he knows how much we do six shows. We do six podcasts every single week. We're a barbecue media company. He runs the barbecue side of the business. I'm driving the media side. Uh, he doesn't listen to the shows, but he says specifically, if you have John Taffer on the show, I will listen. So Eric, this is for you. We love you, man. We appreciate you. But John, give me a social shout out. Give me a shout out to somebody on your team, somebody that works behind the scenes to help, help John uh, live his best life. I got to tell you, you, you spoke to him. Sean Walker is the president nah, my of my man. company. You know, Sean joined my company about five years ago. It's not easy. I have a very unique company, guys. You know, we have our, our bourbon business. We have our yeah. restaurant business. We have our television business, our consulting businesses, our partnerships, our sponsors. It's a very unique business. So finding a team around me has been a real challenge that had to come. Sean stepped in five years ago, has been just an incredible addition to our company. He became president of the company about two months ago. And uh, he's just been a fantastic leader. And I'm home today in my home bar. You know why I'm home? Because Sean is in the office. So, That's awesome. No, you know, June 25th, I'll be on my boat for six weeks. Good for you. Where going are you going? To the Keys and the Florida Keys and all that. And I can do that today because I have a great team. I could not have done that a couple of years ago. That's amazing. So anybody that's listening, if you guys want to reach out to me, it's at Sean P. Walchef, S-H-A-W-N-P-W-A-L-C-H-E-F. I want to hear about your restaurant. I want to hear about your bar, your nightclub. Uh, we appreciate you listening to this show. And John Taffer is very easy to find. Um, Sean and his team, Sean and the team are Make doing sure an incredible it. job. We will put links in the show notes so that you can check out Taffer's Tavern. Um, the new brown butter bourbon, we'll put links there for that as well. Um, also for the shift for promotion. John, it's been can, truly Can I tell honor. you a quick story? I Please, leave, Every, leave us with a so, quick, quick story. So 240 episodes of Bar Rescue. Yeah. I got to come up with five drinks every episode. Not easy, man. How many old fashions can I do, right? <laughs> so, so, so I'm in my restaurant in Atlanta and I'm playing with my sous vide. Yeah. And, I, and somebody was cooking with brown butter. So I took a bunch of whiskey and I poured it in a sous vide bag and I poured the brown butter on top, sealed it and put it in a water oven at about 150 degrees. Left it in there for three or four hours. 
took it out, put it in a walk-in. When it coagulated, I skimmed the butter off the top. Sean, I poured it through a coffee filter when no. I was done. It was cloudy, <laughs> but it was delicious. So we turned it into the campfire cocktail. We sold over a thousand a month of them. Wow. And that's how this was created. It was never, I'm going to go into bourbon business. It started with an idea that we tried in a restaurant that was so powerful that we chose to bring it to the street. That's amazing. Those are the most exciting opportunities of all. And if there's any lesson I've learned in this process, listen to your customers. When their wallet opens, their wallet talks. That's amazing. Well, John, if you ever make it to San Diego or anyone from the Taffer team, please uh, come by for some barbecue. Uh, hopefully I'll have some some bourbon, some of your bourbon at the bar waiting for you to, to have a campfire. But that goes for anyone that's listening. Uh, this is a, a, a rising tide lifts all ships. And we're grateful that you guys listen to this show. Um, John, thank you for what you do for the industry. I can't wait to see you in person. And more importantly, I can't wait for that podcast to have more repurposed John Taffer content. So uh, be sure to subscribe to the show, follow them on YouTube because uh, John and the team are going to just start uh, pumping it out. So very excited for you. Thank you, Sean. This was fun, buddy. Let's Appreciate do it again you. another time. You got it. Look forward to it. Take care, buddy. Thank you for listening to Restaurant Influencers. The best way that you can help us with the show is to subscribe and write a review. We love the opportunity to connect with you no matter where you are on the globe, no matter what restaurant you are running. Please send us a DM on social at Sean P. Walchef. If you are interested in toast, if you want to improve your digital hospitality, please send me a DM. I will get you in touch with a local toast representative. We appreciate you listening to this show. The best way that you can help the show is share it with a friend and we will catch you all next week or we will see you on one of the digital playgrounds that we call social media.